You're listening to the audio program, Host and Guest, hosted by me, Rick Katchke. Now here's myself, Rick Katchke. Hello, I'm your host, Rick Katchke, and this is the audio program, Host and Guest. On this edition of the program, I'm joined by film director, Joe Dante. We'll have that interview in just a moment. I first met Joe Dante in 2007. I flew down to Austin, Texas for a special luncheon at the household of Tim and Carrie League. Uh, They own the Alamo Draft House in Austin. And so I got to have a special lunch with Joe Dante. Then after that, I went to the Alamo Draft House where he screened his film Inner Space. And then I hitched a ride with some people I met there to San Marcos, Texas for a special screening of his film Piranha, which was shown on location where it was shot. Then last year, I went to Los Angeles for a special screening of his film, The Movie Orgy. Uh, When I met him in Austin, I had asked him about the film, and he said they didn't know if it would ever be shown again. So I figured I had to go see it. And it was such an amazing experience. I flew out just for that, that I almost became depressed after I saw it because I had this feeling like I'd never, ever get to see it again, and it was so amazing. And then just a few weeks ago, it was announced that they were showing the movie orgy again, and I just had to go. So at sort of the last minute, I made plans to fly out to Los Angeles, stayed with some friends while I was there, and was fortunate enough to meet Joe Dante again in the process and get him on the show. And uh, that's the anecdote this time, just sort of a, a, a history of my interactions with him. We'll have the interview with Joe Dante in just a moment. My guest on today's program is film director Joe Dante. Chances are you've seen some of Joe's films and love them as a result. He's directed titles such as Gremlins, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, Inner Space, The Burbs, The Howling, Piranha, Small Soldiers, Matinee, and Looney Tunes Back in Action. He also directed a segment of the Twilight Zone movie and segments of Amazon Women on the Moon. He has a new film coming out next year called The Hole, and I spoke to him after a screening of his film, The Movie Orgy, at the New Beverly Cinema in Los Angeles, California. All right, uh, welcome to this edition of Host and Guest. Today I'm joined by Joe Dante. Joe, welcome to the program. Hi, glad to be here. Now, Joe, uh, you're currently in the second round of show of a film festival here at the New Beverly in California, and you just showed The Movie Orgy, a uh, mythical film of yours, could you tell us a little bit about the movie Orgy, how it came to be, and the different incarnations of it? Well, let me tell you first about the New Beverly, which is uh, one of the few places left in Hollywood that runs old movies, and they have a sort of a, a fraternity uh, uh, here, and we're trying to keep these movies alive as uh, all the various exhibition places go away, and everybody goes to video or else just doesn't give a crap about old movies. Um, so there's a series of guest programs that have been done at the New Beverly, uh, Edgar Wright did some, uh, Diablo Cody just finished one. I did one last year, and now I'm doing another one this year. And it's all based on the idea of trying to, you know, perpetuate the movies that we love that really people don't have a chance to see in a theater. And you see a, a great comedy in a home, and it's, it's funny, but if you see it in a theater, it's a lot funnier. So that leads me to what we ran tonight, which is the second incarnation of the movie orgy, which is a film that I made with my friend John Davison uh, when I was in college at the Philadelphia College of Art in 1968. 
there was uh, uh, there were in the in the late sixties there was a Batman serial from nineteen forty three that was reissued in in total all thirteen chapters and they sent it around. Uh, and kids got pizza and they stayed and they watched. They saw the beginnings of the chapters and the ends of the chapters. They uh, were shocked that it's casual racism. Uh, and were basically, uh, uh, it sort of turned them into um, people who love to sit for long periods of time. And uh, so I tried that. I tried my own version of it with a serial and some pieces of film I had found from a. Uh, a rental library, 16mm rental library that went out of business, and plus I was a film collector so I had a lot of cartoons and TV shows and um, we spliced them all together in this sort of melange uh, where we would take pieces of feature films and we would intersperse them maybe as many as 6 or 7 different films, cut them down uh, intersperse them with these pieces of TV shows and industrial films and commercials and run them as if, almost like it was at night at the movies, they're changing channels every 5 seconds and this became very popular, and the Schlitz Beer Company uh, importuned us to um, screen this picture around the country at college campuses. Um, they would pay us 100 bucks a shot, and I would, uh, I or somebody, or my friend John, would fly to different places and run the only 16-millimeter print we had of this, because all these little pieces were all spliced together by hand from different films. Sure. And so you had to ride the sound, you had to make sure the focus was, in, you know, and... And you had to repair it because very often it would get chopped up in these projectors that they had at these different places. Finally, um, finally it petered out in the, in the mid-70s and uh, I sort of forgot about it and then I found it one day a couple of years ago and I thought, you know, I ought to really make sure that I would try to put this back together. And uh, I put it on video because I realized I was never going to be able to project it anywhere. Yeah. And I, in fact, I didn't really have a place to project it because I don't own any of the footage. It's all footage from movies that sometimes I don't even know what they are and I certainly would never know to go to, to get the rights and um, I ran it last year as part of the New Beverly as a sort of an experiment to see if anybody would would react to it, it yeah. was so I mean it's so 60s centric it's so um, uh, hippie liberal you know uh, and it's anti-establishment it's anti-military it's, it's um, very cynical uh, and it's in terrible taste and it's the kind of thing you just couldn't do today. However, it turned out to be a big hit, yeah. and they asked if I could run it again this year. And so I found a couple of more pieces I hadn't found before, and I made a new version, and we ran it this year off of video, which is the only way that it really exists anymore. Yeah. Now, there's so many little moments in the film that seem to have made their way into your movies. Uh, is there one of the films in particular, or, or a film in particular, that you would say has been the biggest influence on your work? Well, the movie RG ended up being an influence because I saw it so many times. I really knew it by heart, because every time we would have to go to one of these schools, we'd have to watch it again. And it was always a work in progress, because I kept finding new jokes and new juxtapositions to make, to make something funnier. Yeah. Uh, and as, along the way, a lot of it embedded itself in my mind. And when it came time to do certain movies, uh, I found that I was either using clips from the movie orgy, yeah. or I was using dialogue from the movie orgy. And particularly, the dialogue from the films of Burt Gordon is especially good for the, for, uh, the kind of movies that I do, because it's parodistic without really realizing it. Um, one of the, uh, I think, worries of, uh, of uh, B-movie makers in the late 50s was if when they talked about science, going over the, uh, the heads of the little kids who were watching the movie. So there was a 
a technique that Bert Gordon used in his films, where if ever he used a big word, he would have this, the, the scientist explain what the word meant. And uh, I, I use that a lot in matinee, because there's a film within the film, which is a giant bug movie. And, there's, and a lot of the characters uh, say sentences like, uh, his, uh, his growth is accelerated, or speed it up. <laughs> and that's directly from some of the pieces that I have in the movie RG. Yeah. And in fact, there are a couple of speeches that are found in the movie RG that are just stolen word for word and put into the mouths of actors in, in matinee. Now, uh, you mentioned matinee. Did you ever have a chance to meet uh, William Castle, one of the... No, I never met William Castle. Uh, when I came out here, uh, I, uh, I, he died fairly soon after I came out to Hollywood, and I never really got to meet him. Of course, I, I was aware of his movies, and I was aware of his column that he wrote for Famous Monsters magazine which he talked down to the kids to a degree that they were really offended. Um, but of course he was, a, you know, he was a showman and he was an entrepreneur and a very brash guy and, uh, and very lovable for that. Yeah. And so when it came time to write this character that was based somewhat like him, that John Goodman plays in matinee, you know, he has a lot of the personality of, uh, of William Castle, yeah. although it's also based on a number of other people. Sure. Now, uh, you've directed so many films over the years. Is there one that stands out to you as a favorite that you've done? It's usually the next one. Yeah. Uh, hoping always that there will be one. Um, I, 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 like, uh, I, like, I, I like most of my movies because they're, they're personal to me. And uh, I, when I have to watch them over again, I do see um, certain uh, elements that appear in, in the movies uh, over and over. But it's not conscious. It's just... It's not an intentional thing. It's just something that comes from your subconscious. If you, yeah. if you're putting any of yourself in the movie, then obviously whatever part of it, uh, you're not quite in, in control of. And so you look back and you go, oh look, there's a pattern here. But it's not, it's not an intentional one. Is there a project, uh, a dream project that you would uh, one day love to make? Well, I have a, a script about Roger Corman making the trip that I think is very funny, but uh, it's considered too inside, and I've had a hell of a time trying to find financing for it. I've been working on it for the past couple of years. And sometimes we get really close and then it falls apart. But it's not. this is not a particularly great uh, atmosphere right now for getting passion projects done. Yeah. In fact, it's not really a very good atmosphere for getting anything done because the, uh, the costs are so high, the, um, the return to the studios is so uncertain, and the future of the business is so uncertain yeah. that uh, they're really going, they're playing very safe with remakes and tent poles and, um, you know, copies of films that made money before that it's it's very difficult for anybody to come up um, and with financing for a, a really offbeat feature unless it's really cheap. Now uh, your next film is The Hole uh, and it's going to be in 3D. Now you dabbled with 3D a little bit before with uh, R.L. Stein's Haunted Lighthouse, correct? Yeah, that was a film, it was a ride film made for uh, SeaWorld and Busch Gardens. And it's actually 4D, it's called, because they throw things at you and they drop water on you. And, and it was very educational doing it, very interesting. And then when it came time to do The Hole, which is not a typical 3D movie in that it's not a spectacle, it only has a very small cast and not very many locations, uh, the, the, the quality of the uh, new process is, uh, has eliminated a lot of the weave that used to get from film and a lot of the headaches and eye strain. And I thought, you know, this is actually a a great way to bring the audience into the movie. It's yeah. not so much throwing the movie at them 
as trying to bring them into the screen sure. to identify with the characters. And so when I suggested it, it's a modest film. It's not a very expensive film. And when I suggested it to the producers, I expected to be laughed out of the room. But uh, for whatever reason, they decided it was a good idea and went ahead with it. And I think it's really helped the movie. I think it makes it... It's a, it's a very unusual 3D movie. <laughs> Now, uh, every week on the show, we always ask for some recommendations. Uh, so first of all, a music album recommendation. A current music album recommendation? It doesn't have to be current. Oh, be well. Uh, I would era. go out and buy any Ennio any, any Morricone album, and I'm sure you'll be happy. And uh, also, this will be hard for you, but a film recommendation. A current film? I haven't seen too many new ones. I did see The Hurt Locker, which I think is uh, hopefully is going to beat the jinx of the... Uh, you know the Iraq War movies, yeah. but it's uh, it, it, it's a very Samuel Fuller, Howard Hawks kind of picture, and Catherine Bigelow really did a, a terrific job with it, and um, uh, it's the best movie I've seen lately that I can remember, except for Up, of course, which is a lovely movie. But um, I haven't uh, seen a lot of the new special effects pictures because, frankly, they bore me. Uh, <laughs> and um, I did see uh, uh, Hangover, which I thought was pretty clever. But uh, for the most part, I, I've, I've been so busy making this movie that I, yeah. my usual movie going, which is at least a movie a week in the theaters, uh, has been sharply curtailed. What about a classic film? A classic film? Well, uh, I mean, there are just so many. I mean, my, my, my advice is that there are so many great films that people won't watch because they're in black and white, and, uh, which is a completely different art form that I think kids coming up are going to have to be educated about. Um, but before they were color movies, they were great black and white movies. And, and I hate to tell you, but most of the great movies are in black and white. They're not in color. And if you want to really, um, you know, immerse yourself in the classics, you have to just go back to, you know, Howard Hawks and John Ford and Kurosawa and Fellini. And, you know, there are just so many great works that need to be rediscovered that are actually better than the movies that are playing at the local Cineplex. Well, Joe, uh, thanks so much for being on Hosting Guests. Anything else that you want to promote that's coming up for you? Uh, well, I have my website, Trailers from Hell, which you can go to, trailersfromhell.com. It's contemporary movie directors, me and Edgar Wright and John Landis and Eli Roth and people like that, talking about the trailers for movies that we love. It's, uh, they're about three minutes long. It's a little film school. <laughs> and uh, it's at www.trailersfromhell.com. And uh, we've got a rupture about 300 of them. And uh, I, if you're really a film buff and you go on the site, you really won't be able to turn it off. Thanks so much for being on the show, Joe. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Joe Dante for joining me on the program. If you haven't seen any of his films or you've only seen a handful of them, be sure to go and check all of them out. They're all really incredible, uh, and it's really an honor to have him on Host and Guest. Our theme song is done by Tiny Folk. You can listen to all of his music at Last.fm. I've been your host, Rick Hatchke, and this has been a really historic edition of Host and Guest. Sand,